Hi, Sos. Today we have a special treat, Holly Noss, Master's in Psychology and partner in a therapy practice called Metanoia with intense experience in narcissism and male victims of abuse and parent alienation. She's with us today to drill down into the psychology going on between my brother Mark Blaine and his wife Nancy. So stay tuned. This podcast contains adult themes, language, and violence. It is not suited to all audiences and may be triggering to some. In many cases, the names and details within these episodes have been changed to protect privacy. Opinions expressed by guests of the show do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast or its producers. Welcome to Isolated, a podcast about male victims of domestic abuse and control, as well as those suffering as a result of parent alienation syndrome. We are not therapists or experts in this field, but seek to bring these issues to light and provide awareness of early warning signs of abusive behavior and resources for help. Welcome back, ISOs. I'm Navi Carpenter, and with me in the studio today is Holly Noss. Welcome, Holly. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, we wanted to talk about what's going on between Nancy and Mark in the last few episodes that we've had. Um, One of my first questions, I guess, was, do you think that there was a trigger or was Nancy always this person inside? In the first episode, we talk about Mark and how... He was so accommodating and Nancy was always, Mark, would you do this? Mark, would you do that? Mark, would you get the door? Mark, would you get cheese for the kids? Mark, would you shut that, you know, whatever. Ad nauseum, did that just snowball into he does whatever she says? So speak to that. So I actually have a question for you on Mm -hmm. that. When he first started dating her, what did you know about her? What did the family know about her? Even up to the wedding, did you see anything then? And what did he say about her? The only thing I knew to be an issue was at the very beginning when they dated, they did break up because they couldn't reconcile her spending. They couldn't solve that issue where she spent more or on things that he what I don't know, whatever that was. They did break up for a time, but he never complained about her. I never saw anything weird while they were dating or at the wedding. After they got married, after, you know, it's like after yeah, she hooked right, him. Right, right. Which is true. That's Yeah. Then a lot of it. It, she was so needy with him. Mark, do this. Mark, do that. Mark, 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 Mark. We, it drove, drove us all crazy, but apparently not Mark. There is a lot of truth in the beginning where there is a false persona. People don't really see these people in the beginning. There are red flags. They just don't see it. And the financial and the spending was a red flag right away. I mean, once that was going on, that's a big indicator because uh, not being able to control finances is huge um, when you see somebody with a personality disorder in reflection of a personality disorder. She already had it. It was already there. Right. Um, She just, I mean, they can mask it. Mm -hmm. But there is a love bombing stage. They become very perfect. They're just, you know, the perfect catch. That's why I was curious. Did he ever say anything about how I met the perfect girl or do you remember any references to that? I don't remember anything like that. Um, But that's not really Mark's way. He's always 
been, you know, he holds his cards really close to the vest. He's an yes. introvert like the rest of us. There just didn't appear to be any problem early on, except for that, the reason that they broke up the first time. Okay. And so, she, this is her second marriage. So she had oh, yeah. like a one year marriage before Mark. It was very short. Any, anybody hear anything about that? Was there any, anybody comment on what happened or did she ever make any references? No, but I did find out who he was and I contacted him on Facebook Ooh. and it took a year almost for him to get back to me. He said, I, I don't check Facebook very often, but said, I'm really sorry about your brother. I hope Nancy's okay. And so oh, I didn't, no. he gave me his phone number. So I didn't get back to him because I thought if he's concerned about Nancy, then yeah, yeah I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, the other thing, nest. the other side of that, he might've said that because He's assuming that the attention is going to be on her too. You know what I mean? Right. Here's a family member that, you know, lost a sibling or a spouse to suicide. So he might come out after you poke it a little bit, meaning he, he might have something to say. He might. I just wasn't it, sure if I yeah, should. Yeah. So anyway, well, I do have his number. He gave me his cell. So maybe yeah, that I'll, would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Most like again, there were already signs there. So wouldn't surprised me if he's if there were symptoms and things and as far as she already had it Mm -hmm. a lot of studies with personality disorders they start to kind of manifest in their uh, teens but it probably had a lot to do with her family I don't know what you knew of her family dynamic but she had it it was already there and then the reason that he got hooked Part of it is his personality, his traits. Right. He aligns with the best traits in the world to basically have somebody predatory that can do those things to them, which is sad. You know, they are the nicest people in the world. And they say, why do I, how did this happen? One of the key elements that you mentioned is they're really good with their partners as long as they're convenient to them. Mm -hmm. Convenience is a huge thing. If you inconvenience them, then the claws come out. So that could very much be where she's already starting to condition him and program him. So he doesn't want to upset her. And as long as he stays convenient, he's in a good position with her. So yeah, she, she already had it that there's no doubt in my mind. There probably were some indicators in her first marriage. Right. Another thing that she does is she repeats herself so much She'll say, I don't trust you and this is not going to bode well. And then she'll send another email and she'll say, like I said, I don't trust you. The exact same words. And this is not going to bode well. And then the next email, I don't trust you and this is not going to bode well. It's She's like a parrot mm-hmm. and she doesn't really have anything new to say, but she always keeps saying the same thing. Why? A lot of that with the email exchange definitely looks like she was preparing for something legally. In other words, that's why she was, you know, because it was his work email. And maybe if if they ever had any kind of information about her, the email exchange, she knew enough to protect herself. But also she's still conditioning him. So if I'm going to say it over and over, Mm -hmm. at some point you're going to develop a false reality and believe it. So I think it was kind of a double edge on that. I think she was concerned that if somebody did get a hold of those emails or if they were used in any kind of legal exchange that she had her bases covered. Well, I think she's stupid because I read these emails and it just shows me what a nut job Mm -hmm. she is, how abusive she was. Mm -hmm. So that's going to backfire. 
Yeah, I definitely would say she almost goes beyond. We already know there's a personality disorder, no question about that. But even to the point of, I wonder if she even had the ability to show remorse. Mm-mm. I doubt it. That's when you're getting into the antisocial personality disorders and things like that. And she definitely appeared to have some some type of psychopathy mm-hmm. going on. Another thing she does in the emails is she doesn't say home She says their address, like 380 Main Street. If you would like to return to 380 Main Street, instead of living in your apartment at XYZ Street, that is the weirdest thing to me. She does it every single time. I think that's part of exposure. Also, there's probably something going on a little more subconscious that if she says something like home, that is going to give him some type of perception that he, that it's his that he belongs you know, and there. he belongs there. So I think there's a little bit underlying conditioning in that. And again, too, from some type of legal standpoint, it would be really interesting to see some of the exchanges, you know, through text messages and things yeah, like all that. The other That's where you're going to see some big stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything is apparent in these emails. I mean, the severity of it was significant. But on the one hand, she's saying, this is not your home. I'm not going to use the word home. On the other hand, she says, you abandoned us. You left here. This is where you belong. You're a horrible parent for not being here. So you can't win for losing, poor guy. No, no. And the hypocrisy in these relationships is extreme. Mm -hmm. It's to kind of throw you off. One minute they say one thing, one minute they mean the other. And one of the interesting components of victims of this type of abuse is they undergo a lot of memory problems because of the conditioning and because of things that are said that they start to question their own reality because we live in their world. Mm-hmm. They don't live in our world. You, The other part is abandonment. That was another key point you just mentioned. They have a significant fear of abandonment. Who, Nancy or Mark? Or Nancy. Both? Oh, Nancy. Nancy does. And so she's going to project that onto Mark. Is and that why she talks about him being adopted? And yeah. you've got this, oh, that was awful. The, what does she call it? Some sort of a primal wound she talks about, this hole because you're adopted. She herself is very victimized. You know, she mm-hmm. definitely depicts that in several instances. And sometimes what's kind of odd is they will pull them in to try to victimize them too, to align with them. So if she makes references to being adopted, there's an underlying component where she is wanting him to victimize himself to fall into. She feels abandoned and she wants an abandonment friend. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And she wants him to feel that as well. And also another really strong component is you can't leave them. Mark can't leave mm -mm, Nancy. No, I mean, those are your stalking cases. When they leave, there's going to be a wake. There's going to be something that comes after that. And especially like in the parental alienation cases, Mm -hmm. say he were to leave and then it would most likely develop into a parental alienation. The kids are going to now be the tool that she would utilize. Well, they're already the tool. Oh, yeah. No doubt about Everything it. If they were analyzed she wants, right she now. Says, and the kids want you to return your knife, fork, and spoon. And then don't shoot the messenger. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah, something. Kids are a really good, convenient tool for them. Something else I want to talk about in a bit. She's completely focused on him being an alcoholic, even though the police reports always show us her 
being three times legal limit and Mark not being anywhere near a legal limit. So is that just projection or is again, again, does she want a friend? She wants an alcoholic friend because she's an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. They will accuse their spouse of doing everything that they do. You yell, you're physical, you're a bad father. Everything they accuse them of most likely is absolutely a reflection of them. Does that just make them feel better? Yep. Oh, of course, because they have an extremely, extremely low self-worth, self-esteem. So they're in a constant competition with this person and it's slowly chipping away at their self-worth and their self-esteem. And that's why when these cases resolve, however they do, the person is usually extremely broken and really doesn't have any sense of self-worth or self-esteem by that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Nancy said to Mark in an email, she said, there will always be someone who can step up and do your job, perhaps better than you're doing it. Someone who doesn't have an addiction disorder. Let that person have an opportunity to shine. What is she doing here? I mean, she wants him on the one hand to go into some treatment program and not work. And he's saying, Nancy, it's COVID. I need to work. Plus you're not. And all this, you're expendable. You matter so little. Mm-hmm. Anybody could do your job. Mm-hmm. Why don't you let them do it? Yeah. Let them and, be the hero. And and again, that's it. Consistent component of trying to devalue them uh-huh. and getting them to where that they are so confused and so conditioned by what the perpetrator essentially is doing is to try to chip away at everything that they are. They lose a sense of self. Mm-hmm. And that is part of that tactic to just consistently chip away, project, manipulate, control to completely devalue. And there you go, especially with that devalue by saying somebody else can do it. You're not needed. And it's interesting because sometimes people sitting back on that will say, you know, but if he loses his job, she loses out. Right. They don't think like that. They honestly don't think about that. Uh, which is always something kind of interesting. And that's another way to show that their reality is so different than, you know, I'm going to use the word normal, but right. the way most normal people think. And that's why when people are in these relationships and they use logic and reasoning and things like that, they just say, I don't know how it happened, but somehow it got twisted and it came back on me mm-hmm. and you can't even engage in any type of discussion or you can't have conflict that's logical and reasonable. Even if you say something like, Hey, didn't appreciate how you called me a name in front of our children, mm-hmm. blah, 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 which again, logical and reasonable. That's not okay to do to mm-hmm. your spouse. They'll twist that back. And somehow you come out of that thinking you caused them to do it. So it's okay. Right. So several times she says things like, you should do this. I know it's going to be hard, but it won't kill you. I hope. Who says that to their spouse? Is it all just the same thing? Just making him feel like, you know, well, if you're dead, Mm -hmm. who cares? But I hope you're not. You know, it's interesting. I don't see that as much in cases where the male is the one with the personality disorder. I see it more with the females where they will consistently reference things that their life is meaningless. I even had a situation where the mother would say it in front of the kids, if your dad's dead, we would be just fine. And, and I don't, with, with women, they can even be more conniving, but for some reason they use that a lot. 
A lot. I know. I don't see men do it, but I certainly see women do it. Hmm. Meaning, I'm going to really degrade you so much that your life is meaningless. Right. They're a little more cunning on that one. You know, she says very often that the kids are asking for this, and the kids don't want to see you anymore. The kids want nothing to do with you. Um, the kids think you're awful because you haven't put the punching bag together. Do you think the kids know? that Nancy is putting words in their mouth? Or do you think those really are statements coming from the kids? No, Um, she's trying to create a loyalty conflict with the kids. And depending on their ages, it's almost how much they're going to be manipulated by it and how much they're not. So the alienation is always apparent in these cases in the early stages, even if there's not a divorce. I think they're like 13 and 15. Yeah. So she's already, she's trying to align them and that's what she wants them to do. I work with a lot of adolescents that have a parent that is exhibiting these same symptoms. And it's interesting because they know something's wrong. They have this internal conflict going on because say they go and hang out with a friend and they see normalcy in that family and then it causes this real internal conflict. And then in these situations, most likely Nancy was uh, shaming them too. Mm -hmm. Shaming them to a point where, you know, they were losing their self-worth and aligning them. You'll see like what they refer to as the golden child, the scapegoat, it really does line up with that. Mm-hmm. As long as you stay with me and say, daddy's bad and horrible, you're good. But if you go against that, but again, it's just the kids are just another tool, but most likely they know something's wrong, but they just don't know the extent. And then you have to look at who's aligned with her because even in a parental alienation case, you talk about brainwashing. It's the most significant thing I've ever seen where kids really can take a loving, nurturing parent and then all of a sudden believe that they're a monster. Yeah. And the 13 year old is probably going to be more susceptible to it. That's why they align it with cult, with a cult, meaning that it's like a cult leader has them so brainwashed and believing that even trying to work with children that are so brainwashed and alienated at this point and to try to work through that is almost near impossible because you're just putting them back in the environment. Mm-hmm. And unless you remove them from the, from environment, the environment, it just becomes more profound. And by that point, they are such a victim of trauma. Well, it did work because in Mark's own words, he says that, you know, he says, Nancy, you've turned the kids against me. So part of me wonders if these were really their words, because if, if they didn't say these things, I never want to see my dad again, blah, 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 blah. He's awful. And they found out later after he killed himself that these things had been said on their behalf, they would be so mad. I would think they would be livid, but that's a normal person talking. I would be livid. The other component can also be, say in a family of three, they're all going to have unique personalities, but it's not unlikely to see one of those children start to take on some of the narcissistic tendencies of the parent, meaning entitled and don't inconvenience me. And you, and it really is pretty prevalent. Then there's going to be one that is just completely conflicted. Sometimes too, you also see kids where their level of overachieving 
because subconsciously they never think they're going to be good enough for this parent. Mm -hmm. So most likely there's even a child going through that where I have to have straight A's. I have to be perfect. I have to align with everything my mother wants. And at some point, even through therapy, it takes a while. And unless somebody creates the awareness for them, the change isn't going to happen. And that's kind of what you hope in the long term with these kids. Once they get out of her Yeah, after you, they got to get out of the environment. But once they get out of the environment and they start to do some self-exploration and try to make sense of some of those things that happen, those are the times where you will see them sometimes come back and say, wow, I realized I had the most loving, caring, nurturing father. Right. And it was all my mother. Which is going to be super hurtful for those kids if they ever come to that realization. That's the part where I'd love to get a hold of those kids. (laughs) (laughs) So would I. So would I. I was even thinking, you know what? I'll borrow somebody's little one at Halloween time and go trick-or-treating over there with my car. There you go. That would be interesting. Yeah, I was already plotting. (laughs) I I want you to put that on your phone. Yeah, just a way to get a hold of them to, you know, say, hey, you know, I'll I'll help you to be a survivor of this. (laughs) I want you to do it. Oh, trust me. I was thinking of all the ways to get over there and figure out a way to do it and not risk my licensing. So Nancy was arrested for domestic abuse, violence, and child endangerment. She goes to jail for, I think, only a night, whatever. But Mark's in the house with the kids. There's a restraining order. So he has everything I want for him at this point. He has his home. He has a way to keep her away. He has the kids. He can start to deprogram them, hopefully. And Oh, so quickly. He's out on his ass. She's in the house and she has complete control again. Worse than before. How does that happen? It's Mark, right? Yeah. Part of it too is in in this case too, the system. The system doesn't like to look at women as being perpetrators of domestic violence, even though the more they examine, the more they're starting to see that they play a big part in this as well. But it goes back to that longstanding question, why don't they leave? Why do they stay? And as crazy as it sounds, part of it is an investment. If you look at how much investment he had with having this family, the wife, the children, the home, the job, that is a huge investment. And then on the other side, they're holding out hope. And I would almost bet this was the case here is that this is going to wake her up. You know, she's going to see the error in her ways and Mm. she's going to get better and she'll see that this can't go on like this. I'm pretty much guessing that's where he was at with that, thinking, okay, she's going to do it. This to me also says the system somehow let her in a little bit too, meaning like maybe just gave her a slap on the wrist. Was she ever um, charged with anything? If it was sometimes those are felonies and they drop them to misdemeanors. And then they're required to go to anger management classes. And that's it. That's a slap on the wrist. She was supposed to go to anger management and AA. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the slap on the wrist. Yeah. So it probably started out as a felony domestic violence. And then they, with good lawyers, you just drop that. And if he's not really helping, most likely he was probably staying pretty neutral. He wasn't pushing to have her go to jail for 20 years. I think he was most likely hoping this would teach her a lesson or she would learn a lesson and 
become that amazing wife and mother he wanted. And then you've got the system that now pretty much, you know, this is a lawyer game at this point. And most likely, even in that, she probably had some components of saying that he did bad stuff too. You know what I mean? She's not going to let him off the hook. She's going to accuse him of all kinds of things. Oh, absolutely. And again, there's his credibility. There's his reputation. Even with restraining orders, they they break them all the time. Well, especially in these cases. Over and over and over. The restraining orders mean nothing to them. The other big key component is rules do not apply to these people. Mm-hmm. They do not apply in almost every situation. And in the more extreme situations, which is your antisocial personality disorders, they're the ones where they're incarcerated and say part of their probation is they have to seek therapy to address the domestic violence. They're required to have 10 sessions with a therapist. Mm -hmm. So as a therapist, we're looking for remorse. We're looking for accountability. And those are the two things you're not going to get. So for instance, they might come in and see the therapist as required for their probation, but they're never going to take accountability and they're going to say the bitch made me do it. Can they fool you? That's a really good question. Um, I fight this a lot now. As therapists, psychologists, very little is taught on personality disorders. Very, very little. And the reason is, is because we're therapists. We're, we're treating symptoms. We're treating victims of trauma. So I would say maybe an hour, maybe a little bit more, is spent on personality disorders because they don't seek treatment. They don't need it in their world. It's everybody else's fault. Everybody else's. And that's why crazy. they don't see therapists. So from a standpoint of therapists treating it, they don't see them. Right. And so the schools don't spend a lot of time on teaching because we're teaching to treat symptoms. I see this happen in parental alienation cases where say the couple, it's a high conflict divorce and they can definitely see there's issues going on in the parenting. And so they send them to a therapist for parenting Oh my gosh, I've seen therapists just completely align with the narcissist. I, you know, with the one that's doing all of the damage and completely full because they can be charismatic. I can even see from uh, Nancy's websites and things like that, that she personifies this charisma just in her ads Mm -hmm. and people can fall for it really easily. And I think you as a family saw it though, because they're phony. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and some people will see through it, but for the most part, I would love to say in the mental health field, we're really immune to it and we have the special ability to see through this. But unless you're really trained in it, they can fool you too. Wow. That's what makes this even tougher. Uh, I had a case going on with a really significant high conflict divorce, parental alienation. And in this case, the father was the alienator. And the mother was victimized, but her therapy wasn't addressing any of that, you know, trying to create the awareness of what this person was doing. And so when all these situations come up in the behaviors of her children that align with alienation, she's oblivious. And she's like, but I'm getting therapy. I'm sitting there thinking, what are you getting therapy for? You're probably just getting therapy to treat the depression and the anxiety you have coming from a high conflict divorce. 
Well, Nancy did say in one of her emails, she said, your first therapist fired you because you could never tell the truth because of all your lies. And I don't know anything about that other than that one statement that was made. But what you just said makes sense. Well, and remember another characteristic, and this is where the word gaslighting comes from. Mm -hmm. Everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where it's so significant, you have no idea of what is truthful anymore. And in these really serious cases or severe cases, I'm telling you, I'll have somebody in therapy that will say, well, they said this and this and this and this. And I'm thinking when you really extract that and really dig deep or go try to find evidence, how much of that do you really believe is true? And then as they explore it, they start to realize everything they say is a lie. Right. They can be really good liars too. Mm -hmm. Again, if you can't see through it, but oh, the lying is, that's one of the most significant. And that's where your gaslighting comes in. That's they accuse you of everything. They use what's most important to you, which is your job in his case and his children. Mm -hmm. So I'll use those things that I can use to manipulate and control you. When he left the house, she upped her game against him at that point. And he said to her, you demanded to come back to the house and they told me to leave. So what was I supposed to do? And I couldn't figure out if when he said they, if he meant the boys or was it a typo and he meant then, and I won't know. Somehow she convinced him that she needed to be in the house with the kids and he needed to leave. Yeah. Well, and again, if he believes that his kids want that, he's going to do what, what he thinks they need. Right. Even to sacrifice his own. And I'm most likely guessing that's where a lot of that aligned with the kids and that the kids need their mom and they can't sleep at night. They're struggling. And so I think he probably just said, Hey, I got to do what's in the best interest of my children. Right. And then he took on that, that that's probably as close as I can get on that one. As far as that gaslighting thing, the school had talked to an attorney about getting a stay away order for Nancy because she was calling the school all the time and coming by. And then when Mark talked to her about it, he said, please stop calling my work. She goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Are you drunk? That's not me. I don't, I didn't do that. Over and over again, every time he says something to her, she's like, you sound drunk. Oh, on my, on my type? Am I slurring my type? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, she's so piece of work. That also was an indicator when I was looking at how much uh, was going on between her and the school and some of the really crazy things she did. That's where I almost took this to even another level where we know there's a personality disorder, but that's now starting to cross the line into some type of psychopathy because most often they don't want to embarrass themselves. So my thought is somehow maybe somebody from the school got to her and if anybody aligns with him, they become a target. Part is I think there's some psychopathy there, but then also they kind of called her out like we're on to you. And now she's trying to create some way to go after them too. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't working. That's where you back them into a corner. And I think what happened with the school is they backed her into a corner. Yeah. And then by that point, she had herself convinced that what they thought didn't matter. You know, so if they saw her in a bad light as crazy spouse, they were crazy. You know, they caused it. So somehow her realities probably started to change. And she would, she was trying to justify that in her own mind that, okay, now they're, they're the enemy too. Right. Right. I've seen them bluff. In other words, uh, in, again, especially with cases with women, they use their employer a lot where on the male side, you don't see that. So in cases I've had where the wife will tell the husband, you know, I'm going to show up to your work. I'm going to tell them what you, what a loser mm-hmm, were. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them you took 10 pens from the office right. last year mm-hmm. and they will show up. Maybe usually they'll, it's a lot of empty Threat. threats, tons of empty threats, but I've seen situations where they've actually showed up and had a presence, but didn't say a word, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just here to bring my spouse some coffee. Women are really conniving in that. And oh, they go, yeah. they go in some places that, that men don't typically go and employers is the one. Mm. I don't see men do that. Right. But I definitely see the women. Crazy. So in 2019, December, Mark had a psychological evaluation. And I want to talk a little bit about his personality and how that opened him up for this targeting and abuse and how it stopped him from setting boundaries. And wonder if in the very beginning, if he set a boundary if things would have turned out differently I or I saw a couple attempts where he was trying I know so my thought there was I think he was he did I know he was seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. and again a therapist has to see through this you know they can look at this and say well I'm sorry but it looks like you're being abused that therapist is really have has to help them make sense of it And they're not going to be able to make sense of somebody behaving and acting that way unless you draw something to it. So in the case, I thought there was a little peak where he was trying. Right. And then something happened. And with the psyche val, it's going to show a lot of inconsistencies. If she took the psyche val, she's going to probably go in thinking she can trick it. Yeah. And she wouldn't be able to they'll see a lot of inconsistencies. And I think for him, they saw inconsistencies too, but they saw him more as the victim of being more victimized. Well, nothing in there says that he is crazy. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Complacent. Yeah. Yeah. Easy going. And most likely there were some strong indicators that something was going on just in some, uh, so a lot of it is a verbal face-to-face interview, and then, you know, they sit them in a room and they answer a million questions. questions. But, you know, it's that 20 minutes sometimes is all they have. And I would guess with, with Mark that, you know, when, what would you say is somebody's first impression when they meet him? Just that he's so gentle Mm -hmm. and mellow. Mm -hmm. The turtle was his spirit animal. So yeah, yeah. just very gentle and mellow guy. Mm So in, in a case of an examination, like I said, if there's 20 minutes face to face and like you mentioned how they see him, most likely I'd see him the same way. 
Right. So when I look at that psychological profile evaluation, it is pretty consistent with somebody that is really kind of involved in something, Mm -hmm. meaning like you can see there's something going on, but unless the person comes right out and tells you, it's like this big elephant in the room that you need to move out of the way to figure out what it is. I would love for them to have given her one. Well, they may have, but I don't have it. Because I see that in parental alienation cases that they're not good at covering up. And boy, when they put something in there in line with a personality disorder, uh, there's proof. Yeah. Of those cases. But even then, sometimes it just means they have a personality disorder and they're a victim and you should feel sorry for them. Well, and the evaluation said that he was very focused on his family, you know, family man, rather selfless. Mm-hmm. His job was important to him and, and mm-hmm. doing well at that. But nothing in there says he's crazy or a narcissist. No, no. So, and, you know, the gaslighting part too, with what you just mentioned, go after what's near and dear. What are the two things that she consistently used? The kids and his job. Yep. I don't know if you recall when I spoke one time before, when we talk about the diagnostic criteria for mental health disorders, we characterize them in three categories, which is probably the not you know, it's kind of the backstory (laughs) from us, but it's the mad, the bad, and the sad. Mm -hmm. And the mad are your people that have schizophrenia, where schizophrenia is more of a thought disorder. It's very uh, genetic. It can be components of drug use. But then we have the sad, which is people that suffer from anxiety and depression, things like bipolar. But then you get the bad. And that's this big link of what we call cluster B, where it's almost unexplained. There's not enough studies to really understand how these people came to become this. You know, some is from, I know borderline personality is one that's indicative of somebody with severe abuse, but with the others, it's hard to tell. But the bad means that they're not fixable. Mm -hmm. That's the scary part. And even when you're treating somebody that's in this type of relationship, Part of the goal is to help them understand that this person, you know, you can keep holding out hope and holding out hope, but this is not fixable. Even kids that you have to, you know, that you're treating that are in this, in these relationships or have parents like this, you, all you can teach them is survival skills. And then later they have to decide if they want a relationship. I don't want to say it's not fixable, but the likelihood is extremely low. Yeah. I've feel like it's like somehow it's continuing because we already have proof from the neighbors that she's screaming at mm-hmm. the kids, things like just get in the house and fucking do what you're mm-hmm. told, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, which I can, I can just never imagine. The worst like part that. is that I guarantee you one of those kids is going to be the same kind of target as Mark. Yeah. Because I, I need a new, I need a new victim. It's just like that. And again, Kids are, in their world, they don't have an emotional connection with their own children. And when, if, say, Mark was sitting in front of me and we were trying to examine, and this is what I think happened with him too, that made me think that somebody didn't really dig deep enough for him, is that he probably believes that she's a loving mother and a good mother. 
Well, you put it in their suicide. That's note. what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but when you are working with somebody and you're really starting to kind of peel back those layers and you extract that, they will come in session saying, oh, you know, they're a great parent. They really love our children. But then when you explore that a little deeper, they start to realize not a good parent. No, turning your children against a father that loves them and that Mm. they loved, that's not a good parent. Calling their children names, completely diminishing any self-worth. Yep. All of that. Yep. That's not loving parent. Yep. And that's always something that interests me because, and that was one of the things that caught my eye with Mark is um, in the suicide letter too, that he didn't, he didn't see that yet. He wasn't there. He really still believed that she was a good mom. And I think he subconsciously needed her to be because the thought that she could do anything like that to his own children was probably inconceivable because at some point they disassociate. And once they disassociate, they have to numb themselves to this at, at some point because the trauma is so significant. And every time you go back into the environment... So most likely he was, had some strong symptoms of disassociation. And that's why I think is what happened with the children. He couldn't believe that she could be that horrible to them. Thank you so much for all your insight into what's going on here. But um, do tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. And you do, I know you do video uh, therapy. Yeah, telehealth and all that. So, you know, again, creating the awareness around it. And it's interesting because with our, my branching division, Metanoia, we're going to kind of change up our websites and things like that to help kind of draw people in a little bit. So we can at least create the awareness. We're going to be doing groups. We're going to, you know, individual is certainly huge. We do telehealth. To get to the office, the phone number is 209-885-8158. So you can leave a message and my assistant will call and screen. And I would say right now, it's probably 85% of my practice. Wow. That's It's either a child, a spouse, sometimes even an employer. And I just started uh, teaching couples classes. And it's interesting because even though that that's also through video, and even when I'm teaching these classes, I can already see when... Which one's the narcissist? Yeah, you can start to tell. And it's so interesting because uh, I talk about it usually in my second session, and then you don't see the couple again, mm-hmm. which is super interesting. So yeah, I think... Now, I can just hear behind us closed doors, you know, the narcissist one is probably saying, oh, that therapist, crazy. We can't go back there. And I kind of went outside the curriculum because I teach these classes for a major uh, medical company and, you know, they want us to follow strict to their curriculum. But in my second class, I talk about this. I mean, I talk Mm -hmm. about if you're feeling like you're walking on eggshell, I come right out and say it. If you're starting to feel that it's not a partnership and it's parenting, I mean, I even use little guides to show if you feel like the relationship is skewed, then you need to seek out help individually. And I even tell them I won't even treat a couple where I even have an inclination that 
this is going on because you can't all get a straight answer from the victim. Right. And therapists, again, for couples counseling, they will still continue to try to treat. But again, when that couple walks in, they're say in the case of Nancy and Mark, if they came in for therapy, you would already most likely see what was going on with the way Nancy would dominate the conversation and you would see it in, you know, Mark's body language. And then what you do is you separate them for the next session and then you literally examine like what's really going on here, Mark. Mm-hmm. And then you bring them back and say, Hey, we're, we're not going to do couples therapy because it looks like you have to do some individual stuff first. Mm-hmm. Well, no your way. only hope. No way you're going to have control over yeah. my husband yeah. with yeah. me not there. Yeah. I can see that not happening. It's at super, all. super difficult. That's why I don't do uh, it, couples therapy outside of teaching classes, but I, I avoid it if I can, unless I can get that person into me individually. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot of work. It's an amazing amount of work. Yeah, for both of you, I'm sure. It's like, <laughs> you know, they say when somebody has been involved in a cult and the therapy to remove the brainwashing, it's the same thing. Mm. It takes for it takes a long Forever. time. Uh-huh. If you can even get through. Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of the toughest. But again, it's the worst. I have some of the worst cases I have ever seen. And to think that somebody would manipulate a child in an alienation case or treat a spouse. Mm. And they don't even see it. Yeah. So... Well, you know, I says if you work. have any inclination that you are a target or being abused by your spouse, walking on eggshells, any of that stuff, being controlled, manipulated, do give Holly a call and we'll put that phone number in our show notes for you. And as always, we pray for your welfare and healing. Until next time, be safe, be strong and survive. If you or someone you love is being abused by an intimate partner, We have resources listed on our website at isolatedpodcast.com. If you have an experience, expertise, or advice you'd like to share, please send an email to notalone at isolatedpodcast.com or visit our website. Your privacy, should you desire it, is a top priority for us. You can support the work of this podcast and help fund much-needed therapy for men who can't afford it. By becoming a member through our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash isolated podcast, which also gets you perks and benefits unavailable to non-members. You can cancel at any time. Your five-star review on iTunes will also help promote the show and help listeners find the podcast. Thank you so much for your support.